Good morning. So I, uh, I told our, our home group Wednesday night that Tuesday I had my sermon like three quarters written for today, which for those of you that know me well is really kind of late for me because I like to have it written a week in advance and then kind of tweak it during that week. So I was already feeling a little bit pressured. And then Wednesday morning I just felt like I needed to, t- this was not right. This is not what I'm supposed to do. I got to totally change it. So this has been a little uh, stressful in some ways for me, but it's okay. Um, I'm not, so I'm not going to be continuing the series that we've been doing on righteousness, um, but we will probably, I don't know, we'll see, we'll probably pick that up again next week. But I will mention three of the four other priorities that we set for this year of prayer, of walking in the gifts of the Spirit, and walking together in unity in this, this message. And I also want to tell you that some of you think we forgot our prayer time, congregational prayer time. No, we didn't. Actually, we're going to do that after the sermon, okay? So um, don't, don't panic about that. I don't want you sitting here during the whole sermon going, we forgot the prayer time. So, oh, and Jane, I wanted me to announce that there is no uh, game night tonight. Sorry, just that was a little... Okay, I think that's all the stuff that I need to do before I get started. So let's pray. Father, we ask that uh, as we consider what you're saying to us in the midst of this issue that's uh, so prevalent right now, God, we ask that you would give us your wisdom, your understanding. Uh, most importantly, God, we guess that you would give us your heart and how we walk through this as your people. And we trust that you will because you're so faithful. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So, so how do we as Christians, as followers of God, how do we walk through this worldwide pandemic that's going on that has people just cowering in fear right now? Well, I think the first thing that we need to understand is that we don't mimic the world. We don't act in fear. We don't, we're not supposed to be afraid uh, interesting article that I, I read by Kristen Tabb. She said this, fear exists because sin has broken this world and distorted it, leaving much beyond our control. We are finite creatures and fear has become part of our makeup. Fear has become part of our makeup. I think she's right. And things like the, the national media and social media don't help in that regard. Can I get an amen? Um, sorry. <clears throat> but, but it's because we live in this broken, sinful world. But good news for you and me as Christians is we know what to do with sin. Jesus overcame it. So we don't have to live in fear. I mean, think about it. How many times during Jesus' visible earthly ministry did he go into situations where people were fearful? I mean, the people were afraid of the, the, the guy, the demon-possessed guy that lived among the tombs in the region of the Gerasenes. And, and, and oddly, they were even more afraid after he got delivered. I mean... The, J- Jairus, the synagogue leader, he was afraid his daughter was going to die. The, the, the woman with the issue of blood, she was afraid she was never going to get well. The, the disciples were afraid that night when Jesus came walking on the water. They were afraid the night when he was in the back of the boat and he was asleep. All of these situations, and, and, and that's, just, that's just a few. I mean, you guys know there's lots of other situations that Jesus encountered where people were fearful, but what did he do? In the midst of that fear, he brought his peace into those situations. He cast out that fear with his peace. 
John 14, 27, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Some of you would remember that I, uh, I actually uh, used that particular verse in a sermon not long ago, and I said that, that we do not capture that well in any of our English translations because the real meaning doesn't make sense to our brains. He's not actually t- giving us a command. He's not saying, don't, don't let your hearts be troubled. He's actually speaking into the hearts of his disciples right there, and he's saying, peace. And you know what? He's given you and me the same ability. We can speak peace because of what he did into ourselves, into those around us, because of what Jesus has done. Jesus clearly told us that we're not supposed to worry about stuff. Don't worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to wear, where you're going to find toilet paper. (laughs) All right, that was probably not in the original, but it's it's the same idea. I mean, he says, Matthew 6, 32, for the Gentiles seek after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them all. He knows what our needs are. We don't have to panic. We don't have to be afraid. We don't have to worry. He's got us covered. You know, someone said that, that fear is an acronym, future events appearing real. And I know there's other acronym that you, words that you can get out of that, but I, I, I personally find that one interesting because Jesus addressed that concept He says, uh, just two verses after the one we just read, therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, future events, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. The Lord is saying, don't be fearful, I've got this. Stop worrying, I'm with you. Be at peace, don't be afraid, I love you. He's with us. 1 Peter 5, 7, casting all your anxieties on him. Why? Because he cares for you. Because he cares for you. Billy Graham said that anxiety or fear distracts us from our relationship with God and the truth that he is Lord of heaven and earth. Your heavenly father, the maker of everything, the Lord of the universe, loves you and is with you. John, 1 John four eighteen. there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. God's perfect love casts out fear. Think about it. If he loves me and he is all powerful, what on earth do I have to be worried about? I mean, really. Deuteronomy 33, 27, the eternal God, stop right there, the eternal God, the eternal God, the eternal God is your dwelling place, your home, where you live. The eternal God is your dwelling place and underneath are the everlasting arms. I don't do this very often, but I want you to just use your imagination for a minute. Just imagine that God is picking you up and cradling you. The eternal God is your dwelling place and underneath are the everlasting arms. My goodness, what on earth could I possibly be worried about? in that setting. 2 Timothy 1.7, God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Not of fear. You know, the, 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 the truth is that, that fear is the opposite of faith. I mean, really, if, 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 you're, if you're afraid, what are you not doing? You're not trusting God, right? And we know what to do with that. Isaiah 41.10, it says, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will hold you with my righteous right hand. He's saying, fear not. He's with you. He's going to help you. He's going to strengthen you. I know that for many of us, 
Fear is a spiritual battle. I get that. Marshall Seagal said it this way. What you fear most may be exactly where Satan is targeting you most. He preys on insecurity, anxiety, and distress. He pours the gasoline of lies on our fears, trying to persuade us that God is powerless, indifferent, or distant. Anybody ever been there? And, and I know most of us here in this room well enough to know that we are never going to say that God is powerless. But I also know most of us here in this room well enough to know that there have been times that you thought that he was indifferent or distant. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands on that one. And yet, those ideas are totally contrary to Scripture. How does the God who has loved us with an everlasting love, how can he be indifferent? How can the one who has promised to never leave us or forsake us be distant? And yet we think that, but it's a lie. Are you with me? We don't have to fear. John 16, 33, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take, part, take heart, I have overcome the world. He has overcome the world. I love this Tozer quote. While it looks like things are out of control, behind the scenes there is a God who hasn't surrendered his authority. You know, we, we might look at a situation and think, God, where are you? But I can guarantee that that situation did not catch God by surprise. He's not flustered by anything that happens in our lives or in our world. You don't have to give in to fear. You can stand against it. Ephesians 6, you guys all know this, uh, these verses. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. He has given us what we need to, to, to do battle, if you will, against whatever enemy we might be facing, including fear. Philippians 4, beginning in verse 4, I think this is, a, this is really a, 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 a help for us in understanding how we can combat being afraid, being anxious, being fearful. Verse four, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. So we're supposed to rejoice on occasion. Always. Oh, wait, it says that? Always? Rejoice always. And, and some of you remember, I've talked about this before, that rejoice is the, is the verb form of joy. It's how joy comes out. So if the joy of the Lord is your then how should it come out? We should rejoice. Are you with me? So if we rejoice, we're acknowledging that indeed God is with us. He's all powerful. He's got this. Rejoice always. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Remember that. The Lord is at hand. God's with you. I mean, doesn't that simple fact give you a little bit more confidence in the midst of anything you might be going on? He's not someplace out there. Oh yeah, he is out there someplace. All right, I get that. But he's also right here with me. Uh, whatever I'm facing, he's with me. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Bring your requests, your, your fears, your concerns before the one who is way more powerful than you are. He's got this. And so if we if we do those things, if we rejoice, if we remember that God is with us, if we bring those concerns before him, what, what happens? And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You want that peace? Got some tools right there to make that happen. Let that peace guard your heart. 
All right, so that's the, that's the first response, I guess, for us as believers in the midst of this, that we should not be afraid, not be fearful. But that's, that's for us, all right? But there's also a response that we have toward others, toward the world, if you will. And that's what I want to talk about now for a, a little bit. Some of you would know the name, most of you probably would know the name Ram Emanuel. Some of you just kind of bristled when I said that name. Um, he was a member of the House of Representatives for six years. He was Barack Obama's chief of staff for two years. He was the mayor of Chicago for eight years. He said this, you never want a serious crisis to go to waste. And what I mean by that is it's an opportunity to do things that you think you could not do before. Now, I might not necessarily agree with Rahm Emanuel on why he said this or a lot of his political convictions, but in this particular instance, I think this is a really good statement. See, as Christians, you and I have frequently lamented that we have been marginalized by our society. When we don't walk in lockstep with everything that culture says we should, when we disagree with issues like sexuality, with marriage, with government, I mean, you name it, we are marginalized or worse. It's true. But in the midst of this crisis right now, we have, I believe, an unprecedented, at least in our lifetime, opportunity. There are people right now who are hoarding toilet paper and hand sanitizer there are people who are locked inside of their houses out of fear of even seeing another person. There are people who are cowering in fear who desperately need peace. And we have it. And I believe that because of this crisis that there are doors that are cracking open, if I can say it that way, that perhaps we thought could never be opened and that might be with family, with friends, with coworkers, with neighbors, whatever. Because they don't know what to do in the midst of something like this. But honestly, I think in order for us to have the fullest impact, it's going to take a radical change of, of heart and mind on our part. See, I think as the, as the church, and I'm talking not our congregation, church, capital C, all right, as the church... I think we're going to need to rethink our ideas about her, how, how important certain issues, say, like politics are. And don't misunderstand, I think politics are really important, but I don't think it's anywhere near as important as spreading the kingdom of God. Not even close. So instead of, of protesting and demanding our way, maybe we need to become servants. Just like the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. My son David pointed me to a, an article recently. It was published on the 10th of February and it's entitled God Using Corona... So we're talking just like five weeks ago, okay? God Using Coronavirus to Soften Hearts in China. So let me read you part of what it says. As 11 million residents in the Chinese city of Wuhan remain frantically under quarantine from coronavirus, so five weeks ago, okay? Christians are now the symbol of peace, life, and hope in a place that used to treat them as a plague threatening communism. In a letter posted by the Heart Cry Missionary Society, a local Christian identified as Pastor Z relayed a message of hope in a city that previously treated believers as something to be eradicated. But with the onset of coronavirus, 
Christians are embraced as newfound beacons of safety and tranquility in a contaminated region, otherwise drowning in panic, death, and despair. Now is the 10th day since the city has been separated by quarantine, and protective masks are the most valuable thing in Wuhan, as money is useless because you can't find a store that sells the masks. People are in desperate situation, so in response, our brothers and sisters preach the gospel and give out tracts and free masks. They are sharing the word of hope and comfort from God. They have become more and more favored in the city, even in the authorities' eyes. These churches in Wuhan keep themselves away from all rumors and political issues. They just do what a true Christian should do in this situation, preaching the gospel and being witness of true peace and true hope that come from Jesus Christ in front of non-believers who who are in panic and hopelessness. I love it. The article goes on and talks about... um, police officers there in that city who are one after another after another coming to the Christians asking for those tracts and those masks. I'm telling you guys, in a world that is spinning out of control, you and I have answers that they want. You and I have what they need. Stan Guthrie said this, the Antonine Plague of the second century may have wiped out a fourth of the Roman Empire. Think about that for a minute. That's huge, all right? Quarter of the people. Historians believe that Christians care for the sick and their conviction that such suffering came not from the hands of capricious gods, which was the the mindset of the the, the culture of the time, all right? But was the the product of a broken creation in revolt against a loving God aided the explosive growth of the faith. Because Christians were willing to step out and serve and at the same time proclaim the truth of the gospel, they saw explosive growth. Wow. It was about a century later when Eusebius of Caesarea, famous um, church historian, he chronicled how famine and war had really devastated his city. Caesarea uh, was, was... one of the larger cities in the Roman Empire at the time, okay? And so when the plague came and added to that devastation that the famine and the war had already caused in in large measure, what happened is people in Caesarea started to leave the city. They were trying to find a place of safety. They went out into the countryside. But there was one group of people that didn't leave the city, and that was the Christians, Eusebius wrote this, all day long, some of them, the Christians, tended to the dying and to their burial, countless numbers with no one to care for them. Others others gathered together from all parts of the city, a multitude of those withered from famine and distributed bread to them all. Eusebius goes on to say that it was because of that compassion that the Christians were showing that the Christians, quote, deeds were on everyone's lips and they glorified the God of the Christians, unquote. That kind of sounds scriptural. People are going to see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. That's what we're supposed to be about, guys. And especially in a situation like this. The the ultimate conquest of the Roman Empire by the Christians, it didn't come about by sword-wielding believers. It didn't come about by even Christian politicians. No, it came about by everyday folks preaching the gospel coupled with acts of compassion. One article that I read said this, Christianity presented to the ancient world two theological truths that were not to be found in the pagan religions. The first is that God of Jesus Christ is a God worth dying for since he had first demonstrated his love for humanity by sending his son. 
The second truth was a new conception of humanity, that is, the idea that all human beings have special dignity and should therefore be shown compassion. These two ideas slowly but surely transformed the culture of the Roman Empire. Today, as the West appears to be returning to paganism, the distinctiveness of the Christian doctrines of God and of man will once more stand in stark contrast to the surrounding culture by Christians demonstrating the love of Christ in acts of compassion. I mean, think about it. We, we today, we do a good job of standing up against abortion, and rightly so, because every life is created by God. But I don't think we've done as good a job of helping others in that same boat, adults that might be struggling with whatever, and yet that's really our mindset, and that was the mindset of the people back then. They're trying to help. They're demonstrating the truth that we really do see every life as worth helping because they're created in the image of God. Are you with me? But it wasn't just the Roman Empire that saw these things happen. It was during the, the early years of the, the Reformation that the bubonic plague um, came to Wittenberg, Germany. And Martin Luther refused to leave. Instead, decided to help the sick. And honestly, that decision cost him the life of his daughter, Elizabeth. But in a letter to another minister, Luther said this, I shall ask God mercifully to protect us. Then I shall fumigate, help purify the air, administer medicine and take it. I love that. He's saying, yeah, I'm gonna pray. I'm gonna pray that God does works in this situation, that he protects us. At the same time, I'm gonna take some, some precautions. I'm gonna fumigate. I'm gonna purify the air. I'm gonna administer medicine. I'm gonna take it. If God should wish to take me, he will surely find me and I have done what he expected of me and so I'm not responsible for either my own death or the death of others. He goes on to say, if my neighbor needs me, however, I shall not avoid place or person, but will go freely. Whew. You know, honestly, there, there, there are some things I'm not crazy about, about Martin Luther, just being honest with you guys, okay? But there's a lot that I really like and this is one of those things. Um, what... What an example that he's willing to, to go out there to sick people and he knows he could get it, but he's okay with that. We have confidence in God. Our trust, our faith is in him. We can live boldly. I think we should live boldly because we have something that the world doesn't have. We have life after we're dead. What do we need to be afraid of? So just like those early believers in the Roman Empire, just like Martin Luther and those around him, I think we can reach out and we can help. As I was preparing for this message, I, I came across a, another article. It was entitled, Seven Lessons from Singapore's Church for When the Coronavirus Reaches Yours. Now, this was just a, a few weeks ago, okay? But some of the insights from some of the pastors, I think, were... Just really good. Andre, Andre Tan, pastor of the City Church in Singapore, he said this, the biggest lesson for me has been navigating the road between fear and wisdom. It is especially tough as fear often has a way to masquerade itself as wisdom. How many precautionary measures are actually sound judgment and how many are too much, such as they teeter over into irrational fear and anxiety? It's a tough road to navigate as we had to both convey safety to our members by way of implementing recommended health measures and yet not succumb to the cultural climate of fear, anxiety, and self-preservation. You know, I read that last hyphenated word there, self-preservation, and honestly, I was convicted. 
I mean, how often do you and I look out for number one? We are the most important, or at least we think that oftentimes in our minds. And it seems to me that we were told that we're supposed to die. It's not about us. And this, the, you know, I think the, the, the writer's exactly, or the, the guy that's, Andre Tan is exactly right. This is a tough road to navigate because there's no easy answers. And it's something that you're gonna have to do personally. I don't mean that, that you're gonna have to do it apart from everybody else. But at the same time, there's gonna be people that you're gonna to need to make decisions for you and your family in the midst of this. And there's gonna be people that'll disagree with those decisions. Just saying. But don't let, don't let other people bully you or you know, try to push you into doing something that you don't, you don't feel is right. I, some of you that, that are not on Facebook, you wouldn't have seen the, the post that I did about coronavirus. In part, I said this, your church leaders have never shepherded a group through a pandemic before. If the church is open, people will say they should have closed. If they close, people say the church should be open. If leaders don't shake the hands of their flock, some will say they don't have enough faith. If they do shake hands, some will say they, they're being foolish. They're going to make some difficult, uncharted decisions to protect the flock, always trying to take into consideration all perspectives, from spiritual growth to legal liabilities and more. And as much as that is true uh, for, for leaders, there's also a dimension of that is, that is true for everybody. People are going to second guess your choices. We're not going to agree on everything. Now, if somebody, if somebody tells you something and it changes your mind, I'm not telling you to be like the ostrich and bury your head in the sand, all right? But I am saying don't let people bully you into to, to changing just because we're, we're not all gonna agree. agree. I, I know, just, just right here in this room, guess what? We're not gonna agree on the decisions that we make about all everything as we navigate through this. It's just not gonna happen. But... Can we, can we honestly disagree on those things and still be one body? Can we still love one another? Can we still admit that we are brothers and sisters in Christ even when we don't agree on everything? See, I think that's way higher, personally. I think that's where we're supposed to live. Chua Chung Kai, say that one three times fast, pastor of Covenant Evangelical Free Church in Singapore said that the coronavirus presents really a, a, a great opportunity for, for believers. We do not live as those without hope. That's what the gospel is all about. But we have friends, neighbors, and family who do not know that hope. They may open up to share their fears and concerns during such a crisis. These are gospel moments. We can spread love, not fear nor the virus. Let's not waste this epidemic. Kind of what Rahm Emanuel said, don't waste a crisis. And so many of the other pastors, I could keep going about all the stuff that was in this article, so many of the other pastors talk about the same thing, but this is a tremendous opportunity for us as the church. We have a, an opportunity to, 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 to reach out in ways that we have not had before in our lifetimes. So let's not waste this opportunity. Let's take full advantage of it. All right, one more thing that I wanna, I wanna put in here because I think this is important. We need to obviously reach out with the, 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 the gospel message of eternal salvation. We wanna make sure that people know that they're, they're gonna spend eternity with the Lord. We also need to help in practical ways with, with, I don't know, food or whatever other help we can give people. Both of those very important, we already talked about, all right? But there's one other aspect, and this is probably a little bit less so, at least right now, 
the latest statistics that I have seen is that there are fewer than 50 cases of the coronavirus in Missouri. There are none in Jefferson County that may have changed by now. That's the latest that I have seen. Um, but uh, I don't think it's going to stay there. And this is not unbelief speaking. This is simply trending. I think that, that it's going to get worse before it gets better, okay? So you and I may encounter people who have the coronavirus. And so I want to encourage us that we pray for those people when we encounter them, that we step out boldly and pray in faith. Isaiah 53, you guys know these two verses. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his stripes we are healed. You know, some people say that's, always, that's only about the, the, the sin aspect if you look at the real words there in the Hebrew, no, there there's clearly has to do with our physical healing along with that. It's part of the covenant. Why, why did Jesus die? It was to, at least in part, to release us from the curse of the law. John 14, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. It saddens me when I see people, even pastors who tap dance around these verses. It doesn't really mean what it says there. Well, yes, it does actually. I'm pretty confident. What, what are the works that Jesus did? He, he healed people. He even raised people from the dead. And he said, we're gonna do greater works. My goodness, how else do you interpret that? Either, either Jesus was lying to us, he was deceived, or he was telling the truth. I kind of think he was telling us the truth. Are you with me? And so we need to be praying for people who are sick. Pretty simple. One of the uh, major teaching influences in my life is a man named Jack Hayford. Many of you would know that name. Um, majesty that you did. He, he wrote that song, um, well-known teacher. Uh, one, in his testimony, uh, he had two major healings when he was just very, very young. Let me read you part of his testimony. When I was one year old, I was supposed to die. When I was born, there was something wrong with my neck that the doctors couldn't fix, and it was inevitable that with the passage of time, the condition would eventually twisted my neck and I would die. The doctor knew there was nothing he could do to change it. Five months, three times a week, my mother took me for treatments to temporarily relieve the pain, but the doctor was so sure there wasn't anything that could be done to correct it, he only charged my folks for six treatments, even though he administered somewhere between 50 and 60. My parents didn't know the Lord. My mother's cousin didn't know the Lord either, but she'd heard about the Foursquare Church in Long Beach, California. She'd heard that, the church, that at the church, Jesus healed people. And she wrote down what was wrong with me and took the note to the church. There she found somebody and asked, there's a little baby that's dying and I brought this note. Will you pray for this baby? The people said that they would. They brought that note into the Wednesday night prayer meeting of the church. The next day, the next day, my parents began to notice that things had changed. My mother's cousin had told her that she'd taken a prayer request over to the church. Within a few days, the doctor said, this baby is well, there's nothing wrong with him. And not only did the doctor declare me well, he refused to take money for the, from my parents for the few payments that he was going to charge because he said, I had nothing to do with the healing of this baby. This has to have been something that God did. 
He goes on to say, when I was three years old, I contracted polio. Most kids today have had a shot or a pill to vaccinate them, but when I was a little boy, they didn't have those shots or pills. Polio was then like cancer is today. There were great epidemics, hundreds of thousands of people afflicted. Their lungs wouldn't work. They needed a machine to help them breathe. They couldn't use their legs, so they'd have to wear braces if they could walk at all or live their whole life in a wheelchair. Children who had nothing wrong with them at all suddenly would be struck with what was called infantile paralysis and could no longer be able to walk. It was happening to thousands of children and I too became afflicted. My parents took me to the doctor who examined me. I remember him tapping my leg to see if it would respond and it didn't. Every time I tried to walk, I fell down. The doctor told my folks, take this child to the hospital. It's another case of polio. By now, my parents knew the Lord and they told the doctor, we'll take our son to the hospital, but first we wanna take him by our church for prayer. My grandfather, who didn't know the Lord, had come with us and he was embarrassed when my parents said that. The doctor got mad. He said, you get this baby to the hospital. My folks said, we will do what you said, but we feel we must first go by the church. They called and asked our pastor, Dr. Watson Tiford, if they could bring me over. They didn't wanna bring in a baby with polio if our pastor thought it was dangerous. Dr. Tiford said, bring the baby and there will be elders here to pray. So they left the doctor's office and went by the church. There I was anointed with oil and prayed for. After they prayed for me, my parents asked Dr. Tiford what they should do next. Shall we take him to the hospital? Dr. Tiford said, I'll tell you what, it's just a matter of a couple of hours. First take Jack home and let him lay down and go to sleep. Don't let him try to walk right now. Right now he's afraid to try because he's fallen down every time. Take him home and let him lay down and go to sleep. When he wakes up, he'll forget the fear and he'll get up and he's going to be all right. And that's exactly what happened. When I woke up, I walked. Because people prayed. I want to encourage you that as believers, we have the ability to do that same thing. We know the God who heals. And so when we encounter those situations, our first response is not to get away, put on a mask. No, our first response is, can I pray for you? Are you with me? We are living in unprecedented times, and I don't say that lightly. We have an opportunity to spread the kingdom of God in ways that other people have only thought about in the past. So where does all this leave us? Let me leave you with the four points at the end of your notes there. You guys all do have the notes, right? Okay, good. Good time to ask now, Tom. <laughs> so first, well, there's, there's no need to be afraid. Oh, certainly you can be cautious, I get that. Just like Martin Luther talked about fumigating the air and taking medicine. I totally understand that, all right? Don't do crazy things unless God tells you to do crazy things, in which case you probably should. But don't live in fear. Take the Lord at his word. Trust him. He is with you. Second, serve. Help wherever you can. There's a a handout sheet that's in there with the notes, kind of half sheet of paper. We're gonna send two members a PDF of that. It didn't print well. I don't know what's wrong with the copy machine. Everything is like wonky on the page there, isn't it? Um, But... uh, You can get that to your neighbors, put it in their door, whatever, fill it out and let your neighbors know, hey, I'm willing to help you. You need groceries? I'll go to the store and and get your groceries. You know, if you're hunkered down, I wanna help. You You wanna talk to somebody on the phone? I'll talk to you on the phone. You want prayer? I'm gonna pray for you. 
You know, especially in this time, doors for prayer are going to be wide open. And I would suggest that you don't, you don't go up and lay your hands on them, okay? I mean, I'm not telling you not to do that generally. Generally, I think it's a really good idea. In this case, I think it's better just to keep a safe distance because we don't want to offend them. We want to, we want to, I think God can, can do that distance without us actually touching them, all right, in, the, in, this, in this case. So, so but, but, but offer that because you, I, I'm convinced, you're gonna be surprised at how open people are. If you say, can I pray for you? I'm pretty sure they're gonna go, yeah, would you? So pray, help wherever you can. Share the gospel with those that are fearful. Be, be ready to, 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 to explain that hope that you have. They're out there going, how, how can you be calm in the midst of, where, where, where do you get that peace in the midst of this worldwide pandemic? How can you be like that? And you need to be ready to explain what's going on in the inside of you and say, here's the answer. Share the gospel and then share the complete gospel, including healing, the whole thing. So I'm gonna close this right now with prayer, but here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna move the mic over here like we normally do for our prayer times. And I'm gonna ask that you guys come and pray. And we're gonna be praying for our culture, that God is working in the midst of this. We're also gonna be praying for us as his people that we have wisdom and understanding and, and are led by his spirit to do the things that he wants us to do. Does that make sense? So that's, that's what we're gonna pray for. Father, we, right now, we're grateful that we can know with certainty that this whole issue did not catch you by surprise. That you are with us, that you are operating through this, and that you have in many ways given us an opportunity to extend your kingdom in ways that we have never seen before. And so Lord, we're asking that you would grant to us wisdom and understanding of how to do that. And even right now, would you guide us by your spirit as we pray? Lord, we want to, we want to be in line with you. And so we're, we're inviting you, Holy Spirit, work your work here in this place right now.